So guys, I'm so excited uh, to be back on the podcast and, and to talk mm. with you all again, because it's been a while, that I actually read the wrong chapters uh, for this week. <laughs> the wrong, I should say, Cersei and Jamie chapters. A little out of practice. A feast with dragons, we're back. It feels good. I was a little, ner- not nervous, but I was like, a, do I remember how to read? I should hope so, Hannah. <laughs> but we hadn't. It was really good to be back. Did the Cursed Child addle your brain that much that you're questioning your ability to read? Reading anything after Cursed Child um, <laughs> automatically makes it incredible. So I don't know if it's that talking or if these chapters are really that good. If you support us on Patreon, then you've kept abreast with uh, a lot of our I don't really activities in Orlando over the past week at GeekyCon. It was amazing. We had a fantastic time. And I think that really has just served to be a highlight as to, to this summer. You know how we, Ramin was on the show recently, and I feel like the episodes following season six were were just as fun in their own way. And that was an incredible conversation that we got to share with him. And we've been sort of flying off the high of that this whole time. But couple that with things with Con of Thrones and just how excited everyone is leading into this offseason with, of course, Game of Thrones at Comic-Con, which was a lot of fun uh, being a part of that as well. This has just been a fantastic summer for Game of Thrones so far, and uh, it feels really good to get back into these chapters. It's like going back to basics, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And I, I've enjoyed listening. I mean, you mentioned the episode that, that you all did with Eric and Ramin, and it was just uh, really cool to kind of listen to just how he relaxed he was and and how much he seemed to enjoy the conversation about what he's been able to work on over the course of the last six plus years or or six plus seasons, I should say. I took a lot out of it. I really liked the questions that were asked and and I just liked the conversational nature of it. It It's cool to actually be a listener, you know, and, and kind of a fan just listening to you guys talk with him. But it was similar to how we've had other guests on the show, like Christian. Uh, it's just, uh, it's cool to hear the the passion with which they talk about mm-hmm. the work that they're doing. It, you know, it's it's almost as if they don't see it as as a job; they just see it as you know, this collaborative effort and building towards something. And uh, certainly took that away from listening to the conversation that you had with him. Me too. I think that it shows in his work how much he loves it, and that is part of what made the conversation so special. So thanks to Warner Brothers and Ramin for reaching out to us and uh, making this happen because I think a lot of you at home were very excited about that episode. I know that we were very excited and seriously nervous about making it. Oh but, my uh, gosh, yes. <laughs> I love the tuba the part. Episode. Where did that come from? So, was it was it one of you or, or he said somebody came up to him and asked about including a tuba in one of the... I don't know. I just thought it was the most random thing, but it was funny to it listen was, to. It was funny, but that instrument really does work in the uh, the music there at the, the Battle of Castle Black. If you listen closely, I put it at the very end of the episode, but it's, it's daunting. kind of reminds me like momentarily of Inception with all that brass, but then it, he kind of turns into its own thing. It's like scary, but very cool. And uh, of course, you guys were up to a bunch of nonsense, as you mentioned, down in Orlando at, at GeekyCon. And seems like you were having fun with uh, David J. Peterson. And um, I've heard a lot of great things about, about the weekend. And uh, I'm sorry I couldn't be there, but... Uh, I know you guys held it down and and represented well. Yeah, we missed you, Micah. But it was so much fun to do this. It was fun to do this face-to-face with everybody who was there and to be on all of our panels and to actually have conversations with people. And I think I mentioned that while we were there, but so much of what we do is me sitting in my closet at home talking into a microphone. And so having the opportunity to do it with Zach and Eric and just with everybody who's at GeekyCon makes it a million times more special. So I had such a blast. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the one thing that, that I'll say I enjoy about cons is the, the interaction with everybody else. Yeah. And you guys were awesome. Thanks for coming and saying hi to us. And given that we're talking about cons, I know there was a pretty big announcement recently about the hotel for Con of Thrones. Zach, I let you do yes, the sir. honors because this this is a special place for you. I know this, and it looks amazing. I mean, the, the I, I'm not, I don't Thanks, know that man. I've seen a hotel that looks like this before. <laughs> that was my thought uh, when I first experienced uh, the location, and I've had several years now to uh, sort of hone the direction that I'd like to see Con of Thrones take. 
And um, we were blessed and lucky enough to be able to secure this location for everyone on our first go around, not only eventually in Con of Thrones, but the, the first convention to have it in a place like this that is all enclosed and sort of one single environment. I, I kind of see it, honestly, guys, as a single theme park. Like, this feels like a Game of Thrones slash A Song of Ice and Fire theme park, but without all of the decorations and the personality that hopefully that will all bring mm-hmm. as a attendees and as people are putting this on that will will bring and sort of transform this indoor city into for a weekend next summer it's gonna be crazy yeah and what one question i do have is about you the announcements that you made on twitter there's there's actually dragons flying over the yes um the hotel is that are they known to inhabit this area i mean i can neither confirm nor (laughs) deny the participation of dragons next summer Smart. More info <laughs> as we launch tickets on August 22nd. But I will say that what we're working on right now is ridiculous. And I'm more proud than I could have ever been at this point. And um, just so happy with how everything's been. The response. We are nearly sold out of hotel rooms. It's just going to be exciting. I don't really know what to talk about. Well, I, I would just encourage uh, people who are listening to the show who want to attend it's from June 30th to July 2nd of next year in Nashville. Head over to conofthrones.com for more information. You can, you know, learn about tickets. You can book your hotel. You can do everything uh, right on that website. So if you're interested, we want you there. You know, we want to meet you. Start making plans. Yeah, start making plans and check out the interior, Zach mentioned, of the hotel. I mean, it's amazing. Like you said, Zach, I think all the people who are attending will bring additional character to the character that already exists inside this building, inside this complex. Uh, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable to me to, to, to see, you know, it's so many things come to mind in terms of what we can do uh, inside. Uh, it's, it's, it's perfect kind of setting for Game of Thrones con. I can't wait to see all the cosplay. Me that too. Are gonna come and Hannah's going to be throwing the the first inaugural annual Battle of Blackwater Bay pool party. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so pick out your bathing suits now, everyone. <laughs> now. So yes, if you'd like to go, yep. please follow Micah's directions. It's really exciting. Almost as exciting as this pair of chapters, Cersei and Jamie, two twins, one funeral, Two differing perspectives. How cool is this? It's very cool because I, I didn't read this the first time around. <laughs> so it's it's interesting to be ahead and then to come back and to provide a little context for the chapters that I read that are a little bit further down the line. But I'm kind of in the same boat as Hannah. And I know we, we were collectively texting about this. You know, How do you immerse yourself back into the books after spending so much time digging into season six and and territory that we're not familiar as as book readers but it it's really kind of weird in a way to go back to a place in time where Tywin Everyone's Lannister still alive. well not everybody <laughs> not everyone <laughs> Tywin. Tywin sorry <laughs> Rest very, very foul it seems so long ago that we were at this point where Tywin Lannister has just been killed these there are these fresh thoughts in Cersei's mind of finding her brother and bringing her brother to ju- to justice. But at the same time, you know, what I think about is the end of season six, how it kind of parallels some of the things that are going on in this chapter, at least for Cersei, right? It's it's her yeah. kind of quest for power, her seeking the approval of her, her now deceased father, um, her putting together of the small council, kind of being inside of her mind as she... Uh, talks with all these different people at her father's funeral to try, you know, to see how exactly she is going to go about manipulating them and using them to her advantage. Uh, and yet, we're not so far removed from the end of season six, where she has assumed the throne and disposed of many of these people that we're reading about in this chapter. Yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't pick any better chapters, in my opinion, to come back to. Especially as we've just seen, like you said, Cersei's on the throne and we see Jamie giving her whatever kind of look he's giving her and to have the opportunity to get inside their heads and figure out the types of decisions and motivations that led them there. Not exactly because they're two different mediums, but um, it's kind of fun to go back and think about the decisions that both of them have made that are going to lead to whatever happens in season seven. 
with the two of them. And to see the beginning stages of her relationship with the eventual new High Septon and her disdain for the current High Septon because he's still got this remaining connection, even though Tyrion's far away. And it's so funny because in season six, Tyrion's actually on his way back. But right now, in our current read-through on A Feast with Dragons, Tyrion's lingering uh, appointment of the High Septon and that person is, is a, is a you know, he's a part of this funeral with uh with Tywin and it's just so funny to me that uh, that connection there is so strong considering how influential that person will become mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that her plot with that high septum will shake out as it did in season six in the books but if it does this is really heavy foreshadowing and it's very cool because you might not catch it on the first read through well I like that you mentioned Tyrion I know this is maybe be skipping ahead with both Cersei and Jamie's chapters, but Tyrion is so present in both of their minds and just thinking about how terrifying it's going to be to have Tyrion return to King's Landing for both of them. Um, the paranoia for, I mean, neither of them really quite understand what happened with Tywin and we see Jamie feeling really guilty, like it's his fault and Cersei is just freaking out essentially. Um, and just thinking about, what it's going to eventually be like if they're still alive when Tyrion returns um, was kind of exciting to think about as we start to read through these chapters. Also, just the the, the relationship that she has with with Tommen to me is is much different than in the show, just because uh, obviously Tommen is a bit older, uh, but she she questions his ability, I think, to lead, but. Part of that is because he's so very young. Like, I often find her kind of comparing him to Joffrey, but you know, Joffrey was such a stark contrast to to Tommen, and you know, she calls attention to how meek he is and how that's troubling to her because he doesn't think that she's going to be, or, or sorry, she doesn't think that he is going to be strong. And and just, I, I wonder, like, how is that going to set up Tommen in the books in terms of? his ability to rule effectively and how he can be influenced, not just by Cersei, uh, but by others. I, I just, you know, uh, ultimately we know what happens to him in the show, but it's, it's a very sort of contrast. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He feels very helpless, especially when he wretches and I'm assuming just starts throwing up at the foul stench of Tywin's corpse and he drops his crown and he runs out and we get that, pretty solid bit of fatherly advice from Jamie and kind of that, that heartwarming scene before Cersei comes out. I'm not sure what, what Tommen has in store, uh, but this certainly feels more nuanced as it always does when we read the books comparing to the uh, television show, which we don't like to do much, but obviously we're coming out of the TV show freshly now. So it's difficult not to, especially with all of these characters, including where they are being such uh, an important part of the very final episode that we did watch. But, you know, at the beginning of the chapter, we do, we see Cersei uh, fretting over the kinds of things that book Cersei, the real Cersei, normally does. While she has this very heightened perspective above most others uh, going into what's about to happen. Meanwhile, she's in mourning for her favorite person in the whole world. Maybe besides Jamie, she says, bad enough. I must wear mourning again. Black had never been a happy color on her with her fair skin. It made her look half a corpse herself. Cersei had risen an hour before before dawn to bathe and fix her hair and she did not intend to let the rain destroy her efforts so we can kind of see where her mind's at and that's only the second paragraph of this chapter and you can't blame it right of course not and i mean even i feel sad about tywin's death a little bit he's such as this incredible character and this incredible player of the game um and i'm absolutely miss his presence when he's not there and so i think it's interesting to hear cersei thinking about him and reminiscing about him and almost not comparing herself to him, but I mean, there is a moment when she, there's a moment when she talks about wanting to be better than him and wanting to like continue his legacy, which I think is really interesting for us to see her think that about herself when we can see how different she is from Tywin. And so being able to kind of contrast that as she's going throughout his funeral is interesting to me. Do you guys think that she is different from Tywin? Because to me, I feel like she really does believe that she is Tywin born again, you know, that she is yeah. the true oh, yeah. heir to his type of personality. I th- I think so. And you know, there's, there's that part in this chapter where she talks about how she put on Jamie's clothes and how when, you know, it, at least she was standing in a way that was not discernible to other people, the respect that she would get 
when people thought she was Jamie as opposed to thinking she was Cersei. So I very much think that she she not only wants to be Tywin, she wants to be better than Tywin to, mm-hmm. to, to Hannah's point. And, you know, I, just the way that her mind works throughout the course of this chapter, you know, everything is very calculating. Every interaction that she has, everything that she says, it's it's almost like she's setting it up so that she can start pulling the strings in different areas. She's waited for this moment almost as as disappointed as she is that her father is now gone. This really paves the way for her to take control. And that's scary in a way, too. It's calculating, but it's also not. You think about how many mistakes she makes, even just in these chapters with Jamie finding out that she has the um, ordering the the guards that are guarding Tyrion's cell to be killed so that Jamie can't question them. And when Kevin tells her that she he knows about Jamie and Cersei's relationship, but just little things like this, I feel like she makes a lot of little mistakes and kind of lets little things slip. And so while I think she tries to be calculating and I think she is successful in some ways. The thing that sets her the most apart from Tywin is the fact that she makes these small, seemingly small mistakes that are going to completely change the course of her actions and her story. Well, do you think that Tywin was always as good as he is now currently? Do you think he was always that good, like comparatively when he was Cersei's age? And is it really fair to compare the two because she's been the queen for so long? She hasn't had a lot of ability to make her decisions not so harshly in the spotlight. I just think it's hard to compare them because I completely agree with you. Kevin Lannister and Jamie give her insanely solid advice in these chapters. And when, when Tywin wanting Cersei to go back to Casterly Rock, don't you think that that's probably the best move considering what's happening? Even though it would be really bad for her to leave the capital and sort of leave her seat of power, couldn't she still influence things a la Averis and Littlefinger if that was truly the right move to go to Casterly Rock and lead from there? Like, couldn't she still do that if truly being in power was her true concern? Or am I totally wrong and she's right and she needs to be there? It's just really difficult, right, to make that decision. I don't know what the right answer is. I think she's I mean, well, I don't think I know that she's paranoid. And so I think that that kind of thing just trumps every other type of decision that she makes politically. So if she leaves, there's no way she can continue to control what's happening is what you're saying. Or she wouldn't have and she wouldn't have the same influence over Tommen. Yeah, but look how Varys and Littlefinger pull it off. I was just I'm just thinking like if she wants to be the replacement for Tywin Lannister, you have to make like those those hard decisions, those sacrifices. Which I just Mm -hmm. don't think she's capable of making. I think that she just wants to be in a position of power and she's able to do that now with her son having the rightful claim to the throne. She's not going to be able to rule from afar at Casterly Rock. She may be able to manipulate certain things, but I think being where she is now, she sort of put the the pieces together. She says as much when she points out the fact that She's assembled a small council and essentially done away with anybody that was under the the previous regime, maybe with the exception of Grandmaster Pycelle, who she's slowly kind of moving away from and, and distrusting more and more. Um, but just, you know, in, in terms of the Kettle Blacks, Kyburn, anybody who has a name that starts with like a K or a Q sound, you know, they're, <laughs> they're all in her... In, in her back pocket and, you know, her ability to manipulate those that are in service to the Tyrells and, and just having ears in different places, I don't know that she would be able to effectively do as much if she was in Casterly Rock versus being in King's Landing and being in a position of power. Now, as Hannah mentioned earlier, she is starting to make some decisions that I think are ultimately going to cost her in the end. The biggest one being the the sort of blowout that she has at the end of the chapter with her uncle mm-hmm. and um you know Zach you mentioned the fact also that Kevin gives her great advice Jamie gives her great advice and it looks like she's going to act on Jamie's advice at the end of his chapter I just think that she should trust in her family because Kevin kind of even boasts about you know the the backing that he has because of the name that he has, at least right now, and what, what its value is. Yeah, and the, he's got money, uh, which we are reminded many times in this chapter. Uh, number one, Stannis does not, even though 
Cersei clearly doesn't know about the relation, the, the agreement with the Iron Bank, uh, but also the Lannisters owe money uh, to the Iron Bank and that they don't seem to be wanting to pay it anytime soon. Uh, I think, you know, again, that's an example of another decision that could prove costly in the future that she's just kind of pushing off to the side and saying, right, we don't have to worry about that. I will say, though, I do think he's Kevin's a little harsh on her when he tells her that you're as unfit a mother as you are a ruler. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was a low blow. I felt like um, I felt like up until that point, he's like the only one making sense. He's like, you know, at least Tommen has his mother. Then he what is he, he clears his throat or something and says, oh, yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure he has his father also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> completely unnecessary burn i know but she, i mean she did throw wine on him but i feel like he at that point just kind of tossed out his upper role uh not that it really matters much because they were both at odds in that situation but i don't think it went well for either of them he certainly showed his cards and mm-hmm. she obviously showed hers he seems defeated and i think it's understandable because he's he's lost his his brother he's lost one of his sons you know lancel is is you know clearly gone through some extremely traumatic experiences. It yeah, was, he's like he, Reek 2.0 in King's yeah, Landing. Exactly. <laughs> they said he's 17, but he looks like he's 70. And That's wild. He's, you know, Kevin has, has his wife. He has family that he wants to you know, go back to. And, and I don't think that there's any dishonor in that, but he, he clearly has his stipulations, right? In, in order to be hand of the king, certain things need to happen. And I think he doesn't want to waste his time or energy or effort anymore on Tywin's children. And, and that's interesting to me because you would think that he would at least because of the affection that he had for his brother, or at least the loyalty he had to his brother, it seems, to want to try and help you know, the Lannister name continue to rule in King's Landing. Yeah, but then I think about what he's already sacrificed and the fact that I know that they're family, but they're not his children. And he's not exactly 25 years old, you know. He's not a young guy that has all this time left to spare. And I think that he's seeing slowly. I mean, ever since you could argue back to Robert's rebellion, but or and you, let's just go, let's just say whenever Robert died, stuff started getting really troublesome. And it was probably troublesome for a lot of them even before then. So, you know, his son was in the battle and was knighted. And now he's a lord and he's going to Derry and he's going to marry a furry girl that was once wed to a Derry because that'll help the transition some. And you got to think about kevin's perspective on all this and he's like well now Tywin's dead so literally i'm the guy in charge or she's the guy in charge and i know how things have been going there i could try and bust my ass and get caught in this web and try to play the game of thrones or i could be content with all of the men and the money that i have and go see my son off because he looks like he's about to die and and try to and try to make something out of our lives you know before winter comes or maybe even try to build something up to the point where we can survive through and I feel like that's that's what's pushing Kevin in his d- direction. You know I mean, I don't think that he's worried about power like his brother or his nieces. No, I, I think power is probably the first, furthest thing from his mind. Otherwise, he would have jumped at any opportunity to be hand of the king. Right. But he didn't say no completely, which is curious to me. Right. So, but, I mean, I think he said no. I think he put out. I think he knew that Cersei was never going to take that deal though hmm. right i mean maybe he didn't but I, I feel like he's probably aware enough to know that she's not gonna go back to Castle rock that could be wrong why does it she could just take advice and the lannisters i mean while biting their tongue some and getting kicked in the back and we can't forget lord kyburn if he's <laughs> ascended to lordship so far it's hard to keep it straight but he doesn't have his uh, candy corner yet <laughs> Not I wish yet. Eric was here. <laughs> Making his way to visit Cersei after she's had something to drink, you know, and this is before the dinner with Kevin, which is interesting to me because she's been drinking wine and then she, after Kyburn leaves, switches the strong wine. I think she she's she can hold her wine. That is for damn sure. 
and uh, has no problem making large decisions or having very important conversations with the possible hand of the king uh, while she's done it. But Kyburn visits and they have the conversation about Sir Gregor. And let's remember where we are. The, the last Cersei chapter before this one was her being awoken and taken to Maker's Holdfast and them like sort of having that that very dark and uh, just dim chapter of uh, finding Tywin's corpse and wrapping bodies and blankets and making secrets and her obviously giving the orders to have all of the goalers downstairs taken care of much to Jamie's dismay. So this is really like, uh, the first time apart from, um, her conversations with Kyburn leading into what he's about to talk about with the mountain that she's, you know, had time to think about this since, uh, what happened in a storm of swords with Oberyn at the trial. So it's really interesting to have him talk about how uh, Gregor Clegane is, a cu- is overly accustomed to milk of the poppy, like how he's drinking it, like men drink ale. My favorite part <laughs> is when Cersei says that the mountain's too stupid to know he should die. Kyburn's a bit of a, a mad scientist, right? He's the he's the Dr. Frankenstein of, of the Game of Thrones series, at least it seems. And clearly there's a reason for the fact that his chain was taken away. And I think it's made pretty evident in this chapter when he talks at length about sort of the experiments that he chose to perform when he was in old town. And that's pretty evident when he wants to experiment on the mountain who has been keeping Tommen awake at night, has woken Cersei up a few times with his screams. Uh, We get further confirmation that Oberyn did in fact use poison uh, on his spear. Manticore venom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a result of that, created a very slow, painful death for Gregor Clegane. So I'm assuming that if Kyburn decided to just kind of let him be, you know, it's taking longer to take effect given the size uh, of of the mountain, and I think that's something that Oberyn certainly took into consideration. Uh, and that eventually he would die, um, and then, of course, there's also this pact uh, that was made with with Duran Martell to return the head of the mountain uh, back uh, as sort of a and make good, uh, I wouldn't say a peace offering, but something. Yeah, to so to sort of show solidarity, I guess, in a way for um, what he did to to Elia uh, and Oberyn, Oberyn, and and Elia's children as well. So it's just uh, this is the beginning of mm-hmm. of the reincarnated Franken Mountain. Franken Mountain. <laughs> I don't understand though why they creepy. don't just put him out of his misery. Like, if he's really causing that much, you know, trouble for everyone, why they didn't just put him out of his misery, like, get it over with instead of letting him suffer for so long? I think it's this moment right here. Like, uh, Kyber has kind of earned her respect after what he did uh, to keep things hushed up uh, and his work that he's done to investigate how Tywin was murdered and also helping with Jamie's hand. He's sort of like earned his audience right now with Cersei. And so here's the moment where he makes kind of like a a good ask. He's like, by the way, I could take him down in the dungeons myself uh, and I would be far away from your earshot and I could tend to him. And she's drinking wine, right? So her, she's a little muddled, just but enough to be confident. She, she, she's like, uh, why did they take your chain again? Like she finds the perfect opportunity to ask him after he's asking basically to perform uh, whatever kind of acts, mysterious acts onto the slowly dying mountain. And I feel like this is the moment where... <laughs> He kind of like goes into a soliloquy. I can only see, I can almost see him like turning in an, in another show in another world. Maybe a play adaptation of this with hopefully better written lines. He turns <laughs> and a spotlight beams on him. And the music comes up and he goes. For hundreds of years, the men of the Citadel have opened the bodies of the dead to study the natures of life. I wish to understand the nature of death, so I open the bodies of the living. And you know he's been rehearsing it a lot. <laughs> so it comes out just a little too perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very it's well. Very, very the creepy. mountain is yours. <laughs> and not only that, I mean, he gets money yeah. to, to conduct his operations. <laughs> With like whatever he needs, basically. But I mean, I guess it's worth it in the end. 
Oh, definitely. Who had any idea that he would pull off such an absolute thing? Remember how he was just walking through the alleyway? And I hope that this is done in some degree in the books, but he's walking through the alleyway and just smashes the guy's head against the wall. Like an anime. Very effective killer. This week's episode of your favorite podcast is brought to you by Blue Apron. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Some of the meals that are available in my birthday month, the month of August, are spiced pork burgers with goat cheese and cucumber corn salad, summer vegetable and quinoa bowl with fairy tale eggplants, mm-hmm. yes. shishito peppers, and corn, and chicken tinga tacos with summer squash and tomato salsa. So does this sound like a George R. R. Martin penned paragraph at a certain feast? <laughs> this all sounds like great food that you would get out at a restaurant and the fact that you can get it for less than $10 delivered right to you is pretty awesome. Like many of you, I am a Blue Apron subscriber and a lot of my cooking is centered around what comes in the mail and my very Christmas-like experience opening my fresh produce. It's been a lot of fun. You can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash owns. That is three meals with free shipping on us. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash owns. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I know I mentioned earlier kind of how Cersei was going from one person to the next as she is at the service for her father inside the Sept of Baelor. It, it It's very calculating in nature, you know, whether it's just a thought that pops into her mind where we get the, the internal dialogue or it is her direct interaction with different people. And you could sort of see how she is laying the groundwork, sort of starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together to enact what it is that she hopes to. But I think, as we've talked about a little bit in this episode, there there are some missteps that that she makes, right? Definitely. And she refuses to allow Lawless, Stokeworth, and her mother, Tonda, for that matter, name her child after Taiwan. Can you blame her? I mean, not really. Like, That's horrible to say. It's horrible. Because you, it, it would be an honor at all, but Cersei has one disdain for the Stokeworths, two just disdain for Lawless, and three disdain for the manner in which she was conceived, which might I add is the fault of the Lannisters. If you break it down into many levels, yeah, obviously. Yeah, what she says is pretty awful. Yeah, it's pretty awful. So who cares though, right? Because as Tommen refers to the small folk will be the small folk, even though they're uh, speaking about a highborn family to, to, to Cersei, everyone else is a small folk, right? The, the lioness. One of the missteps I think was with Mace Terrell. And while Jamie kind of comes up with a solution in the next chapter in terms of how to deal with him, I, I just thought the interaction that the two of them had and and again, we, we should remember that this is Cersei's father's funeral. So to talk about matters of state at, at these uh, at, this, at this moment may not have been the best move on his part. Right. Um, but or just good the fact at all. Yeah. Right. Right. But re- remembering the fact that he is really the, 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 the face of one of the, the major houses of the Seven Kingdoms. And she essentially just completely backhands him. Uh, as he's having these conversations uh, with her and the Queen of Thorns shows up and makes some Queen of Thornsy like remarks as she always does. And <laughs> they were very witty and, and, and well, well-timed, but just interested in, in terms of what you thought that this is just one example, but I, I just thought a probably Tywin would have dealt with Mace much differently than Cersei does in this moment. Well, and to kind of talk to him the way that she does in such a public way in front of literally everyone. And I know that, like you said, approaching her in this situation may not have been the smartest on his part. Um, she'd have to dismiss him like that as publicly as well. You know what I mean? I'm on her side. He wants to be Hand of the King. Uh, that much is is evident. But I, I tend to agree. I, I don't know that this was the the best moment. It's not the most opportune of times to be having these conversations. I don't I don't know when is, uh, to be quite honest, with, with Cersei, but it's clear a few that... A days, or at least a day. 
Yeah. Again, I, I don't know how smart Mace is. Like from from the, from the show, he's kind of made out to be uh, a lackwit. I, I don't. I haven't really felt that in the books yet. But you know, certainly, Queen of Thorns could be in his ear saying, "This is this is the opportunity for you to secure your spot and you know put the Tyrell House in a position of power, so that in addition to Marjorie wedding Tommen." we will have somebody in a prominent position as hand of the king. Well, and Cersei's annoyed, isn't she, that he doesn't even outright ask her. He just kind of like dances around the subject instead of, he's kind of, he's Mm -hmm. waiting for her to ask him. And I think that that wasn't all the right way to play it with her either. I think so in terms of what you're saying about him not being as smart in the books as he kind of comes off not as smart in the show. I think that maybe that probably wasn't a good move either. To not like come out with it, right? We don't know if Elena told him to do this now or if she didn't tell him to do it now. So there's a few ways to look at it. If she said for him to do it now, she knows better. She knows that this isn't the the right moment. So either she knew that Cersei would, either she had some grand hope that Cersei would be like, okay, sure, blah, 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 in her grief, which she's not daft enough to think that about Cersei. I think that if Elena did tell Mace to do it now, or give him advice to do it now that she knew Cersei would put herself in a position of embarrassing herself against the Tyrells by sort of saying no. Um, and that's maybe a little paranoid a la Cersei style, but I don't think that Elena did tell him to do this. I think maybe he did it on his own. But I think that Cersei gets kind of a free pass because <laughs> where he's at, where he's talking to her about this, you know? So I don't, I, I, if I were her or Jamie, I wouldn't be worried about sliding the Tyrells in that space. Maybe I'm not taking these matters of state seriously enough, but I think he was handling things a little light for the, the seriousness of that moment. It was her father laying there dead, not of natural causes, but murdered. Yeah. I think the whole situation all around was poorly handled. Um, but something that I couldn't help but think about is she's, annoyed at everything that Lady Olena says and she talks about, I'll see you dead. I couldn't help but think about how much she doesn't know how much she should actually hate her because she doesn't, isn't yet aware of yeah. um, what happened with Joffrey. And so, mm-hmm. not, not that yeah. that's like a funny moment, but kind of like a moment of, Cersei, you're annoyed and you're upset with them right now, but you have no but idea. <laughs> yeah, you have no idea how right. much you could actually, and you should actually hate them for what they've done to you and your family. If the story goes by way of the show, she'll get her revenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But will it be on Olena, though? Oh, she man. seemed to uh, be safe back in. Or she ended up in Dorne, right? In the show. Yeah, but mm-hmm. she lost her whole family. That is true. a lot of them, at yeah. least. People she cared about. Very true. And and not only uh, as it relates to Joffrey, but what she finds out later in this chapter with the coin uh, that, that was found down in, in the cells by Kyburn. Oh, yeah. This all seems a little mm-hmm. curious that this coin dates all the way back <laughs> from before the conquest. It's House the Gardner. king on it is Garth the Twelfth. Yeah. And it has the sigil, yeah, of House Gardner uh, of Highgarden. Guys, How is curious. this real? Hmm. Or is Kyburn just giving How her the evidence placed. that she would like? Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Cersei's chapter overall, I think, being inside of her mind, seemed very opportunistic. I mean, clearly, she's grieving. But... It, it was calculating, right? She's she's figuring out how to ultimately move herself forward to seize power and hold on to that power. I think that part of her grief is being expressed and becoming the kind of person that her father was and the kind of person that her father could be explicitly proud of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think that in a way contrasts with Jamie, who really blames himself for for what happens uh and 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 for why Tywin is lying there you know if not directly he's not the one who pulled the crossbow but he blames himself for working with Varys he blames himself for freeing Tyrion which ultimately leads to Tywin's death as we know so uh, you know, despite the fact that we're inside the minds of of two siblings to children of Tywin Lannister, they're they're very different, in my opinion. Yeah, there absolutely are. And like you're saying, they're manifesting their grief in different ways. And the fact that Jamie has basically stood there and hasn't slept or moved since. And it's like he's 
if, if he stands guard and if he does that himself, then he can make it better. And then he can fix all these things that he thinks he's done wrong, even though, I mean, he had no reason to know that, and Tyrion had no reason to know that what was going to happen next happened next. I don't think that even, you know, Cersei, not to go back to her chapter, talks about Tyrion being so calculated in all of this and that maybe Tyrion has something to do with the fact that Tywin is decomposing the way that he is when in reality like Jamie and Tyrion no had, had no idea that, that was what was going to happen and that was not something that either of them necessarily planned on and so I feel bad that he is beating himself up and I don't blame him because yeah because it's his father and it's his family but um he, there's no way he could have he could have known and then also to be bearing the guilt of believing that Tyrion also killed Joffrey um no, that's just like an extra added layer. Mm-hmm. This was just my Jamie fan club chapter. I mean, as as if our previous readings hadn't done enough. He's uh, just continually growing to be one of my favorite characters in the series. And um, that's, yeah, that's all I have to say. This well, is such a good. This is such a good Jamie chapter. The Jamie chapter that I love the most is when he literally laughs out loud, looking at Tyler. Oh, that part in the his, chapter when his smile. <laughs> Because, you know, Tywin's, whatever, his it looks like he's starting to smile wider and ri- wider. And he laughs out loud at the fact that, you know, he's standing vigil for a man he believes he helped kill, sending people to, what does he say? Sending people to capture the brother he set free. And then he's laughing at his dead father's smile. Like, I thought that that moment was was Every a cool Jamie moment. Every crow in the kingdoms should pay homage to you, Father. From Castamere to Blackwater, you fed them well. That notion <laughs> please, Lord Tywin. His smile widened further. <laughs> Bloody hell. He's grinning like a bridegroom at his wedding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that. But at this point, Jamie's just, you know, he has no sleep. He's 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 going, it's like slap happy, but in like the worst way. Yeah. In the worst way. Do you think there's a um, distrust of family and that's why Jamie is is additionally maybe more hesitant than he would normally be to give in to Cersei and what she wants. It's just given what's happened with Tyrion and and you know, he he clearly showed the love that he had for his brother by freeing him and his yeah, brother so essentially cool. betrayed him. Uh and not only that claims to have killed Joffrey, which I'm not sure how how much Jamie truly believes him. I think he believes him more in the book than maybe he did in the show. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, sort of just given how fresh this all is in his mind and, and sort of the seeds that get planted by, by Tyrion about, you know, the Keto Blacks and Lancel and, and just Cersei basically being a whore. And, and, and it, it wasn't a special relationship all along that Jamie had with Cersei because Cersei was willing to use what she had for her own personal success and gain. And so is it almost like the veil is being pulled back a little bit um, and Jamie's starting to realize the truth about his family. I think that it's probably a little bit of that. Are you talking about him not wanting to be hand? Yeah. I think there's two parts to that. I think that it could go different ways and I think that it could also be all of the above I think that in some sense that yeah like there's this mistrust mistrust for his family and I think that he's doesn't want I think that he wants to distance himself from Cersei a little bit in that sense um just because I think he understands what she's capable of um and I think he maybe partially doesn't want to be wrapped up in that like he doesn't want to be part like part of whatever she's going to do. I mean, I think that he sees the types of mistakes that she makes and the way that she is. And while he absolutely loves her, I mean, there's no question about that. I think that maybe politically he doesn't want to have to deal with that. Um, That's a good point. A little bit. But I also think, and I don't know, maybe not, but I think that part of it also is Jamie still is holding on to this idea of being a warrior and he was never bred to be a politician. And I think that in his heart of hearts, he would much rather be out on the battlefield and gaining glory in that way and so i think it's also a little bit hard for him to let go of this idea you know he can't fight the way that he used to and so i think it's it's hard for him to let go of this idea of being a great warrior and a great fighter and so i think it's probably all of the above that makes him hesitant to want to take cersei up on her offer 
I think it's Jamie's emotional intelligence that he's gained from living life outside of the comfortability that he grew up in. I think more explicitly his recent experiences uh, traveling north, being uh, a captive after fighting against the young wolf and then eventually being captured by the brave companions and having what happened to him happen to him and spending his time with Brienne. I think that it all just kind of added up to the kind of Jamie that we've spoken about in chapters and episodes in years past, but sort of manifesting here uh, in addition to what he's learned and gotten directly from uh, his experiences with Tyrion. You know, I, I, what good does it do for him to to sleep with Cersei again because he's satisfying a carnal desire. He knows that she's using him, even if she isn't specifically trying to use him, maybe even if she just wants to fool around with him. Like he's just, he understands that that's not what is important. Like he's getting more out of being stoic and thinking about writing well in the white book and becoming something that he can be proud of enough to be a part of the white book than to satisfy, you know, the kind of desires that sort of compelled him in the earlier parts of his life. That's the the tone I get from it. And um, he thinks specifically back to um, Prince Rhaegar and he hears Prince Rhaegar's voice or he seems that he heard the voice. He heard iron tones and that, that deep chasm underneath the Red Keep when they were searching for Tyrion or maybe a sign of Varys slain down low as well. Um, he's getting these reminders from these noble men. Um, we hear of his knighthood. He thinks directly back to the moment when Dawn touched his shoulders and still bled from Arthur Dane. Uh, blessing him into his Kingsguard service. And we think about how long he rested on his knees, praying to the warrior and sort of using blood as that seal for honor and uh, all that he, you know, would have liked to have become. And I think that a lot of that he realizes now was uprooted by not completely uprooted, but definitely disserviced by his relationship with Cersei, that that was kind of a, a personal desire. And with all this stuff happening around, and with his father being gone, and after all the stuff that he's been through, I think that Jamie is just trying to be the best version of Jamie. Mm-hmm. And is that why we like him so much? Or <laughs> is that why like, we pivot uh, from where we see him in the very first book? I, I think so. I mean, I think because you're with this character for so long of a period of time, and you get inside of their head, and you just can't help but you know, create that attachment and then you see sort of the things that they're going through and one of the things I really liked about this chapter Zach you just mentioned basically both of them but but going back in time and the mentions of Rhaegar and, and Arthur Dane and demonstrating really also the, the power of the man who is lying um, you know dead in this room for both of these chapters, mm-hmm. the fact that Rhaegar and, and, and his father, they are fearful of Tywin Lannister. And that is why Jamie never went out to fight beside Rhaegar, right? They wanted him almost as they're using him as a pawn, right? They're using him as a, as a bargaining chip to keep Tywin in check. It was very cool. And I'm going to give away one of my owns, but this this is going to be my own for this chapter when we actually get to hear a line, even though it's in recollection, but from Prince Rhaegar, he says, my royal sire fears your father more than he does our cousin Robert. He wants you close so Lord Tywin cannot harm him. I dare not take that crutch away from him at such an hour. That's uh, just cool to hear words from Rhaegar before he inevitably steps toward his fate yeah and mm-hmm. but how much different would things have turned out if jamie goes to fight beside Rhaegar, you know on sort of on the trident right where robert yeah takes him out right versus i don't think yeah he would never become the kingslayer because he wouldn't have the chance and i don't know if i don't know if Rhaegar would have fell because jamie was such an expert at that time maybe mm-hmm. he wasn't as good as Rhaegar, though it's tough to say maybe we should take a time turner back and see <laughs> How things change. Why don't we There's wait? There's almost 20 years. Promises that Rhaegar makes, sure. right? He said, when the battle's done, I mean to call a council. Changes will be made. I meant to do it long ago, but well, it does no good to speak of roads not taken. We'll talk when I return. And he never returns. And this is where I feel like our conversation could derail into the kind of person that 
John Connington says that Prince Rhaegar was and the obvious the state that we just spoke about Jamie's mind being and the way he's fondly thinking of Prince Rhaegar now you can't help but to be a massive fan of this guy and with the recent reveal of Jon Snow's parentage it's just I think that there's more Rhaegar lore that's going to be injected into the story and I think the kind of person and the kind of the kind of person he was and the kind of person Lyanna was will do a lot to paint an image of Jon Snow as well which I'm I'm fascinated about learning and it's just cool to learn through jamie lannister yeah it's kind of it's it's interesting as we're saying to kind of get these thoughts as jamie flows in and out of full consciousness almost like it's just like his his train of thought his mind wandering aimlessly and this is the kind of stuff that that he's thinking about and also thinking about Bran of tarth let us not forget that one moment (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. just a quick shout out We'll hold on to, to that it tightly. There. But I do think it's interesting that he talks about how he doesn't feel any grief. Um, I think that he and Cersei both touch on this idea that Tywin was not well loved um, and that he was respected more than he was loved and that people feared him more than they ever felt any real affection towards him and how that makes both of their grieving, well, not. Like, they neither of them feel... Well, I guess not either of them, but Jamie especially doesn't feel sadness and doesn't feel what does he say that Grandmaster Pycelle is the one who's actually sad <laughs> and and not not him himself. And so I think that that's interesting um, that he kind of touches on that a couple times about how his father is past and and he can't feel upset about it. So where these two chapters kind of come together is once Cersei and Tommen and several other characters are actually inside of the Sept. Uh, And Tommen, upon seeing his grandfather, uh, gets quite ill, which, let's face it, he's a young kid. He's entitled to not respond well (laughs) to something like that. And so... He's entitled to his biology. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And Poor kid. According to the Queen of Thorns, I forget the exact line, but... Something wasn't smelling too uh, pretty uh, inside of the sept. Yes. I like what Marjorie does where she puts down the bouquet and then keeps one for herself. Yeah. Smart, smart, smart. Very smart. Jamie makes note of that as well. Yeah. And says that she may not be that bad of a choice for Tommen after all. Thomas asks Jamie, he's like, didn't it make you sick? How could you bear it, Uncle, sir? And Jamie thinks, I've smelled my own handwriting when Vargo Hope made me wear it for a pendant. He says, a man can bear most anything if he must. Jamie told his son. Think about that. Jamie told his son, I have smelled a man roasting as King Aerith cooked him in his own armor. The world is full of horrors, Tommen. You can fight them or laugh at them or, without seeing, go away inside. Jamie told his son. Well, and and he needs a, a figure like that, right? And if you think about it, Robert, it's been mentioned many times throughout the story was not much of a father to any of his children Mm -hmm. uh, except for the bastards that he had throughout all of Westeros Uh, and and I think Jamie this is a really good moment between him and Tommen and it's cut short by Cersei and I think you're sort of reminded of how young Tommen is because he still calls Joffrey Joffy, uh, which I think is something that a young kid would do. And Cersei just kind of hearkening back to the start of her chapter where she is either thinking about how sort of fragile and in some cases weak Tommen is to actually saying things to him to try and make him more of of I guess a man but again he's such a young kid that you can't expect him to respond the way that let's say Jamie would uh, in this type of a situation right right I mean I understand what she's trying to do she's trying to press upon him the importance of being king of the Andals and the seven kingdoms but in her own way and the way that she speaks to Jamie in front of him as well it's just uh, she's she's very on brand Cersei she asked Jamie you know why aren't you there standing sigil or vigil you would say you do it for seven days and seven nights and he's like it is done go look at him she says take the number of your or surely the Lord Commander knows how to count to seven take the number of your fingers then add two mm-hmm. and that's when everybody's coming out 
um, because it's, the odors are getting worse, and I guess it's all it's all done and over with. And he tells Cersei to keep her voice down that Lord Tyrell is approaching. And I just think it's funny imagery. George adds in high above, a crow screamed loudly. He was perched on the statue of King Baylor, shitting on his holy head. Yeah, <laughs> but Jamie jumps in, and I, I feel like it was both strategic in the sense of putting in motion a plan to get mace out of king's landing and giving him what he wants but at the same time also kind of throwing it a bit into cersei's face by making him by making her sit and have dinner with him so i feel like right. he won on both fronts but also he's kind of giving her an opportunity to to make do make good with the the attitude that she showed him earlier in the day mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. a good plan i mean it's it's smart coming from me like two seconds ago saying jamie is not a politician <laughs> but I know, but right, this even was she smart says it. Of him. You For know, a he, moment, you sounded quite like father. Yeah, and means that as in a compliment, absolutely. And so, I mean, his plan is to get Mace Tyrell to go capture Storm's End for Tommen. That gets Which him out of Cersei's hair. Yeah, and then marry Tommen to Marjorie right away. And Jamie's kind of like, well, you know, they can get married right away, but that's not really going to mean anything for a long time anyway. And so we've got time on our hands. That's pretty smart. Can you imagine? the height of the hat that Mace Tyrell would wear sieging Storm's End. (laughs) (laughs) Just like taller than he is himself. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is the part he was born to play. It's like Winston in the mummy. He's like a quest for (laughs) Sir Cadogan when they're trying to find the, uh, uh, Trelawney's classroom. You know what I mean? Like this is everything he has ever wanted. And it was a fantastic idea. And if you're reading these, these books chronologically, which I know we're skipping around, but these two chapters are chronological. It's just such a satisfying way to end this chapter for Cersei Mm -hmm. and for Jamie. And even if you're a Tyrell fanboy, this is good. Mace is going to have a great time doing this either way. So it's just a very, very satisfying note to end on. Everyone's happy. Yes. <laughs> Were you satisfied? I, I just think that, <laughs> no, I, I am because even with Thursday's chapter, and, and I know that just so much happened in it that there, there are obviously things that we weren't able to go in like over detail about, but like she's planning to kill Jon Snow. Like she's, she's trying to have Marjorie cheat on Tommen before they're even married. Right. And she, she's strategically putting all these little pieces into play, you know, talking about, do they align with the Greyjoys? How is she dealing with Stannis? Like she, yeah. she's very much taking over for her father. And, you know, she talks about how, Renly would have been such a more formidable foe that she would have to contend with if he was still alive versus having to deal with Stannis. But just the fact that we're sitting in this room in King's Landing and and she's kind of looking out across all of Westeros, even into the east a bit at times when they're having some of their conversations and just kind of, oh, yeah. you know, being the politician, making the decision, saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. And I think this is the position that she has been waiting for for so long. And now she has her chance to be able to rule. Hopefully she doesn't mess it up. Time will tell. I wanted to mention something, something that I had read that was completely unrelated to what you're just saying, but kind of goes into an overarching theme of both of these chapters as we wrap them up. At GeekyCon, we did this panel's theory, sorry, this theories panel about weird fan theories, and we talked a lot about Varys being a mermaid, so check that out. But there's this theory that... So throughout both of these chapters, there's a lot of reference to the fact that Tywin is decomposing very quickly, and a lot of people are making comments about how awful he smells, and we're, we're talking about this. And there's this fan theory out there that Oberyn Martell had already poisoned him based on a conversation that oh, Oberyn yeah. and Tyrion have had, and just kind of Oberyn's whole life. And so that he was already dying when Tyrion shot him, and so that's why he was decomposing so quickly. I thought that was so interesting. I mean, there's no way to really know whether that's true or not, but I thought that that was kind of an interesting tidbit that I wanted to throw out there. I remember that theory. Yeah, so that was kind of cool. Not quite as sound as the various being a, a mermaid theory, but... Right, there's still. not a lot of evidence to support it, but we'll go with it anyway. That time when theory stinks. <laughs> <laughs> See what it's I did? good to be back in the books, you know? This, <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. These were, these were strong as usual. 
Mm-hmm. When you're separated for from the text for so long, you know? That's why you fall you fell in love with the story in the first place and it's good to be back to basics. All right, own for Cersei chapter, the moment you've all been waiting for. This is a tough one because um I wanna be philosophical and take the normal amount of seriousness that we do uh for these chapters, but the only note that I have in caps for the Cersei chapter is badass werewood stave, and I might just use that as my own. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the High Septon's badass Septon. werewood sta- stave. <laughs> I agree. With the crystal. You know, that's like, if it were a, a staff from a video game, you know, it'd be very hard to find. It'd be very rare and it'd be very mm-hmm. powerful. Mm-hmm. So good on him for carrying it. You need you need a master key. You need lots, man. You know mm-hmm. that it's in the seventh castle, in the yep. seventh tower, on the seventh day. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Cersei had a lot of good one-liners uh, in her chapter. Um, but there's there's a moment where they're talking about the marriage of Lancel, and Cersei says to him, may your wife give you strong sons, and then internally, best not let her lord grandfather host the wedding, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was good. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to give my own to... Well, Eric's not here, so there's no rules. I'm going to give my own to Cersei, and... When she's thinking about, again, Tywin's kind of smiling a little bit. And she thinks to herself, that should not be. She blamed Pycelle. He should never have told the Silent <laughs> Sisters that Lord Tywin... Or he should have told the Silent Sisters that Lord Tywin Lannister never smiled. I love that she blames Pycelle. You forgot the moment. best line, that he's what? as useless as nipples on oh. a breastplate. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I highlighted that. <laughs> so did I. Sorry, Dorn. And then for Jamie, Well, you've already gotten mine. Prince Rhaegar speaks in whatever form... It was cool. Also, casual Sir Arthur Dane mentioned. Low key Sir Arthur also. Dane. I gave it. Yeah. It's it's another internal monologue, but the the paragraph starts out. Uh, there were crows circling the seven towers and great dome of Baylor Sept. Even now, Jamie su- suspected their black wings beating against the night air as they searched for a way inside. And this is this is my own. Every crow in the seven kingdoms should pay homage to you, Father. From Castamere mm-hmm. to Blackwater, you fed them well. So cool. And that then his really smile widened further. <laughs> that is and really the li- good. And the line we talked about earlier, that he's grinning like a bridegroom at his bedding. <laughs> I want to talk about Jamie and Brienne. I'm not going to. I want to, there's, um, I already mentioned this earlier, it's but. Brienne and Tormund now. Move I know, on. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. Move on, Hannah. I can't, you know, I can't ever move on. I know. Right before that paragraph. Uh, when I mentioned this earlier, but this internal dialogue he has himself and it says, this is more absurd than a murmurous farce. Me standing vigil for a father I helped to slay, sending men forth to capture the brother I helped to free. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a funny way to put this whole situation that he's in. Yeah. And when you put it that way, it is pretty messed up. He's making a lot of people work for nothing. Yep. Also, uh, can I give a shout out to Longwaters, the guy who is uh, in charge of many people. He's got a very important job down there in the cells beneath the Red Keep. Uh, for mentioning the three um, prisoners that Ned Stark released. And they were like, you probably shouldn't release these three <laughs> to the Night's Watch. And I was like, Rorge, Biter, Jacken. That's where they came from. Rouge. <laughs> Rouge. Anyway. We can say that since Eric's not here. So those were our own. Send us your own. We kind of announced this very last minute, but that's okay. We're going to have a lot more book chapters yeah. ahead mm-hmm. of us. The Feast with Dragons is, uh, we're still very early and it's a lot of fun. We've actually heard from several people over the past week uh, in person at GeekyCon how much fun they've been having reading ahead and without us forward in a Feast with yeah. Dragons. I that's just saw okay. a tweet that's about kind of that. rude. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> it is rude. You can, you can do what you, you can like. read ahead. You can do whatever you want. You should wait. <laughs> do whatever you want. But please send us your own. Uh, that would be fun because they're a lot of fun. So yeah. send us those owns. Mm-hmm. Send us your owns. We like them. Well, and for those of you who may be new to our reading order, you can check it out at afeastwithdragons.com. It's a labor of love. Yeah. It is. And, uh, of course, you can send us your owns for these two chapters uh, or for the next two chapters that we are going to be reading Sam 1 and John 2. But Sam is in a feast for crows, and John is in a dance with dragons. So, uh, be sure to check those out for uh, next week's reading. And you can send us your owns in a number of different ways. We put out a call for owns on Twitter, twitter.com/slash/gameofowns. So just tweet at us. 
or scroll upon our Facebook wall at facebook.com slash Game of Bones, or you can send us an email. It's cool. We still accept that. Contact at GameofBones.com. If you haven't listened to our interview with master composer Ramin Javadi, you should do that. Yes, just go listen please. to us. Mm-hmm. Or just go listen to the season six soundtrack or any other soundtrack. Or just go watch season six again. Yeah, or just be you. Be yourself. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you want. But please come to Con of Thrones next summer. <laughs> it's mandatory. If you want to catch up with what Zach and Eric and I were doing in Florida for GeekyCon, you can check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash goo, where we recorded the panels that we were on, a lot of other weird stuff that was happening. Yeah, I heard you'd <laughs> Just, like to uh, put weird pictures on your door in hotels. I Is that true? A, I put a great picture on my hotel door that Eric Instagrammed without knowing that it was my door. Um, and so lots of... Did I mean, he really not know it was your door? He genuinely did not know it was my door. I hadn't seen him yet. That is cool. I hadn't seen him yet. And I'm scrolling through my Instagram. I was like, Eric. Also, Eric and I shared a conversation late one night. That's really cute. It was like right before he had a very early car. We were in the, the throes of not having sleep, much like Jamie in this past chapter. And uh, I recorded it because we both sounded more ridiculous than we ever have and i'm gonna put that up this week uh it's i've never heard eric speak in a higher pitch voice or laugh <laughs> as hard i swear guys you have never heard eric like this um, micah not you not hannah not me it was it was it was absolutely insane damn <laughs> yeah so there's so much stuff like that up on our patreon yeah which you should check it out mm-hmm. yeah so patreon.com slash goo we won't fill our itunes feed with all that nonsense but if you're really into it please consider po- supporting the show Mm-hmm. and checking out that other stuff. Yeah. And of course, as Zach, you mentioned, conofthrones.com. Can't say enough. People should check out the website. I'm just stoked that there are dragons flying over this hotel. Mike is flying maybe, one of them maybe it's in just a photograph. Um, if you look I'm close flying. enough. Can you please yep. fly a dragon Can we? Can we convention? ride dragons into the con? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. So Sam, John, they're up next week. Get ready. I don't even know what to expect. Get reading. Yeah, get reading, please. Make sure you read the right chapters. Read the chapters. right chapters. Don't make Micah's mistake. Mm-hmm. We all make mistakes. It's okay. And we'll see you soon. Talk to us online. Listen to the show. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us this off season. You're important to us. It's mandatory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>